Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message comes from our gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 20. Here again, these few verses. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You may be seated. It's always amazing to me how much nonverbal communication we use through our hands. And I'm not just talking about sign language, although I am amazed at the beautiful artistry for those who use sign language. No, I'm talking about the things that we convey by using hand gestures in today's world. Think about all the things we communicate with hand gestures. Some nice, some not so nice. And it's always more than just what we're physically doing with our hands. Let me give you an example. Just about every day, I make my oldest son, Miles, do something absolutely terrible. You know, like take a bite of vegetables, or take a bath, or brush his teeth. Now when this happens, he'll stick up his hand to me like this. And that's indicating to me a whole host of emotions, as well as a very clear message, back off. But one of my favorite times of the day is when I come home from work and I get down on my knees and I put out my hands like this to him. And he sees me and he gets the message. And he puts out his hands like this and he comes running and gives me a big hug, at least most days. And we've communicated to each other something far more than just the hand gesture. Our hand gesture was a communication of something deeper and more complex from our hearts. Hand gestures are a part of the scripture lessons that we read today. They may not immediately jump off the page, but when we take time to look at them, they communicate something to us far more deep and far more complex. In our gospel lesson, Jesus is sharing a pretty straightforward parable. A landowner goes out to hire people to work in his vineyard. He goes out at the beginning of the day, and he goes out throughout the day. And the landowner agrees to pay the first group he hires a denarius, a standard daily wage for the time. To the other groups, he doesn't mention what he'll pay them, but they're just happy to be employed. And the landowner even goes out with just one hour left in the day. As the sun is getting low in the sky, he hires people at the literal 11th hour. At the end of the day, the work is done, and the workers gather to get their pay. And so they stick out their hand, and they see what will the landowner pay them. Now, it probably came as quite a shock to everyone there that when the first group who stepped forward, which was the group who was hired last, received a full day's pay. They were just happy to be employed. They stuck out their hands in simple gratitude for what the landowner was giving them. 
So when it came time for the group who was hired at the beginning of the day to step forward, even though they just agreed to work for a denarius as well, I can only imagine what was probably running through their minds. They probably thought, well, this group over here only worked one hour and they got a full day's pay. I wonder what we will get. Probably two or three or ten times that amount. And they stuck out their hand in anxious anticipation, confident anticipation of their extra reward. Well, they didn't get anything extra. They received what was promised to them, and that's when their grumbling began. Their expectation was that they deserved more, even though that's not what they agreed to. Their complaint to the landowner was that he made them equal to everyone else. And that did not sit well with them. Jesus was telling this parable because the disciples started to have this exact same attitude. Just four verses earlier, Peter came to Jesus, and Peter had been hearing Jesus tell about all the various people who were going to be welcomed into his Father's kingdom. It didn't matter their background or their previous sins or their social standing. Jesus was welcoming all sorts of people. And instead of Peter being overjoyed at this news, his first reaction was a concern for himself and his fellow disciples. He exclaimed, We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What then will there be for us? He was reacting just like the workers in the parable. And Jesus gently explains to him that in his kingdom, everyone who has left something behind for his sake will receive the same reward. They will receive eternal life with him, a gift given to them at no cost. Sinful notions of fairness and who deserves what don't belong among God's children. The first will be last and the last will be first, Jesus says. Jesus gives us a picture of the first of the hand gestures we see today, the hands of his generous heavenly Father. God the Father is just like the landowner in the parable and is unexpectedly generous to everyone. His hands are constantly outstretched, outpouring his blessings to us all. The eternal life he gives, no one deserves. The parable is not about us earning salvation. The parable is about a generous Father who gives salvation freely and abundantly. And all we do is put out our hands in a purely passive posture. And we receive from our Father, and He gives graciously. Martin Luther talks about this in his explanation of the first article of the Apostles' Creed. He says, I believe God richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. All this he does out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. And Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food at their proper time. Open, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. 
Yet it took a while for the disciples to truly understand this, and it probably did for the workers in the parable as well. And sometimes we don't understand it either. Too often we receive what God gives us, but instead of being thankful, our sinful mind takes over. And rather than focusing on His hand, which is giving us everything we need, we begin to look around, and we lose focus altogether. That's what got the workers in the parable in trouble. Everything was just fine with their agreed-upon pay until they saw what others were receiving. They took their hands, their eyes, off the hands of the landowner and instead turned and looked at the hands of the other workers. And an envious spirit crept in. We do that to God, don't we? We stop being thankful sometimes for what He has given us and instead begin to grumble about what He has not given us. God, I come from a family, a whole family history of Christians, and I've been Christian all my life. Is it that unreasonable to expect you to take care of me just a little bit more than the rest? Or, God, I really am thankful for what you give me, but there's just one more thing. Or, God, I really expected you to take care of me this certain way, and it did not happen. I wonder if you're even listening to me. What it boils down to is what we feel we deserve and what God knows we need. Now, it's not wrong to really want something, a certain outcome for a situation in our life, and it's not wrong to feel disappointment when it doesn't happen that way. But how do we react when that happens? Do we close our hands and our hearts to God? No, of course not. God invites us to always turn back to Him, looking at His hands, trusting that He knows what we truly need. It would be dangerous if someone instead were to decide to turn away from God, closing their hand, and failing to receive anything from Him anymore. And if this goes on for long enough, that closed hand can turn into an angry fist, an angry fist that rejects God altogether. There was a time in history when this happened, and God's people rejected His greatest gift, His Son, Jesus Christ, who was sent into this world as a human being to live and to die and to be raised and to be ascended for our sake. But the people of Israel, the people of God, the people who should have been accustomed to receiving all good gifts from their God and Maker decided they did not want to receive it. And so they shook their fist at Jesus and they called out to Pontius Pilate for his crucifixion and they rejected Jesus like a common criminal. But to our surprise, and to theirs as well, God used a different pair of hands that day. The hands of a Savior, one stretched left and one stretched right, hanging on the cross with nail marks in His hands. And those hands were a godly gesture to all people, to every person in the world, a gesture that says, I know that you rejected me, but I chose you anyway. You don't deserve anything 
from my hand, but I forgive you, and I'm going to give you everything from my hand anyway. God is that unexpectedly generous landowner, and he has given to every person a full share of the eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. He gives that to you, and he gives that to me. And our ultimate hope is that one day, his hands will remake this creation. And it will perfectly fulfill his redemption that started with Jesus. And it's that promise that sustains us even now. We are the body of Christ, the church. And that brings us to our final set of hands. Our hands. The hands of a servant. As Christians, we live our lives clinging tightly to our Savior's loving hand and with the other hand, serving other people. Paul in our epistle lesson demonstrates to us what this looks like. He writes to the Philippians while he is in prison for the gospel. His trial would decide whether he would live or die and all the while, though his hands were physically in chains, He never stopped using them to serve other people. Paul saw the suffering in his life for what it was, a time and an opportunity given by the hands of God to do the work of Jesus Christ. Even death could not shake him because he had Jesus. And Paul was determined to tell everyone about his Savior. He writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul wrote with an entirely different mindset. He wrote with the mind set of God, not of this world. And that allowed Paul to live fearlessly because it was God who was working through his hands, not him. Someone at an earlier service mentioned to me, I look at my hands and all I see are old, crooked hands. I'm sure the thought sometimes is, how can God work through these hands? Because we all have imperfect hands. But that's the point. God takes our lives and transforms them and allows us to serve others in love. Paul understood this. He lived fearlessly because he knew that his God was generous and his God had taken care of everything for him through Jesus. He was fearless to serve others for the sake of the gospel and that is now your mission and my mission. With our eyes set firmly on the generous hands of the Father. We cling tightly to the hands of our Savior and His promises to us. And we serve others in love in a way that is worthy of the gospel. Those are some pretty powerful hand gestures. In Jesus' name, amen.